Book Five, Canto Twelve, of the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Canto Twelve. Artigall doth Sir Bourbon aid and blames for changing shield. He with the great Grantorto fights and slayeth him in field. O sacred hunger of ambitious minds and impotent desire of men to reign, whom neither dread of God that devils binds, nor laws of men that common wheels contain, nor bands of nature that wild beasts restrain, can keep from outrage and from doing wrong, where they may hope a kingdom to obtain. No faith so firm, no trust can be so strong, no love so lasting then that may endure in long. Witness may Bourbon be, whom all the bands which may a knight assure had surely bound, until the love of lordship and of lands made him become most faithless and unsound. And witness be Gerioneo found, who for like cause fair Belgi did oppress, and right and wrong most cruelly confound. And so be now Grand Torto, who no less than all the rest burst out to all outrageousness against whom Sir Artigall, long having since taken in hand exploit, being thereto appointed by that mighty fairy prince great Glorian, that tyrant to fordoo, through other great adventures hitherto had it forslacked. But now, time drawing nigh to him assigned, her high behest to do, to the seashore he gan his way apply, to wheat if shipping ready he mote there descry. Though when they came to the sea-coast they found a ship already, as good fortune fell, to put to sea, with whom they did compound to pass them over where they list to tell. The wind and weather served them so well, that in one day they with the coast did fall. Whereas they ready found them to repel great hosts of men in order martial, which them forbade to land, and footing did forestall. But now the more would they from land refrain, but when as nigh unto the shore they drew, that foot of man might sound the bottom plain, Talus into the sea did forth issue, though darts from shore and stones they at him threw, and wading through the waves with steadfast sway, Moger the might of all those troops in view, did win the shore, whence he them chased away, and made to fly like doves whom the eagle doth affray. The while Sir Artigall with that old knight did forth descend, there being none them near, and forward marched to a town in sight. By this came tidings to the tyrant's ear, by those which erst did fly away for fear, of their arrival, wherewith troubled sore he all his forces straight to him did rear, and forth issuing with his scouts afore, meant them to have encountered, ere they left the shore. But ere he marched far, he with them met, and fiercely charged them with all his force, but Talus sternly did upon them set, and brushed and battered them without remorse, that on the ground he left full many a course. Nay, any able was him to withstand, but he them overthrew both man and horse, that they lay scattered over all the land as thick as doth the seed after the sower's hand. Till Artigall, him seeing so to rage, willed him to stay, than sign of truce did make. To which all hearkening, did a while assuage their forces' fury and their terror slake, till he an herald called, and to him spake, willing him wend unto the tyrant straight, 
and tell him that not for such slaughter's sake he thither came, but for to try the right of fair Irene's cause with him in single fight, and willed him for to reclaim with speed his scattered people, ere they all were slain, and time and place convenient to a reed in which they to the combat might derain. Which message, when Grantorto heard, full fain and glad he was the slaughter so to stay, and pointed for the combat twixt them twain the morrow next, and gave him longer day. So sounded the retreat, and drew his folk away. That night Sir Artegall did cause his tent there to be pitched on the open plain, for he had given straight commandment that none should dare him once to entertain, which none durst break, though many would write fain for fair Irena, whom they loved dear, but yet old Sergius did so well him pain, that from close friends that dared not to appear, he all things did purvey, which for them needful were. The morrow next, that was the dismal day appointed for Irena's death before, so soon as it did to the world display his cheerful face, and light to men restore, the heavy maid, to whom none tidings bore of Artegall's arrival, her to free, looked up with eyes full sad, and heart full sore, weaning her life's last hour then near to be, sith no redemption nigh she did nor hear nor see. Then up she rose, and on herself did dight most squalid garments, fit for such a day, and with dull countenance and with doleful sprite she forth was brought in sorrowful dismay for to receive the doom of her decay. But coming to the place, and finding there Sir Artegall in battleless array waiting his foe, it did her dead heart cheer, and new life to her lent in midst of deadly fear. Like as a tender rose in open plain, that with untimely drought nigh withered was and hung the head, Soon as few drops of rain thereon distill, and dew her dainty face, gins to look up, and with fresh wanted grace dispreads the glory of her leave as gay, such was Irena's countenance, such her case, when Artegall she saw in that array, there waiting for the tyrant till it was far day, who came at length with proud, presumptuous gait into the field, as if he fearless were, all armed in a coat of iron plate, of great defence toward the deadly fear, and on his head a steel cap he did wear, of colour rusty brown, but sure and strong, and in his hand an huge pole-axe did bear, whose steel was iron-studded, but not long, with which he wont to fight to justify his wrong. A stature huge and hideous he was, like to a giant for his monstrous height, and did in strength most sorts of men surpass, nay ever any found his match in might. Thereto he had great skill in single fight. His face was ugly, and his countenance stern, that could afraid one with the very sight, and gaped like a gulf when he did gurn, that whether man or monster one could scarce discern. Soon as he did within the lists appear, with dreadful look he Artegall beheld, as if he would have daunted him with fear, and, grinning grisly, did against him weld his deadly weapon which in hand he held. But Elfin Swain, that oft had seen like sight, was with his ghastly countenance nothing quelled, but gan him straight to buckle to the fight, and cast his shield about to be in ready plight. The trumpet sound 
and they together go with dreadful terror and with fell intent and their huge strokes full dangerously bestow to do most damage whereas most they meant but with such force and fury violent the tyrant thundered his thick blows so fast that through the iron walls their way they rent and even to the vital parts they passed nay aught could them endure but all they cleft or brast which cruel outrage when as artegall did well advise thenceforth with wary heed he shunned his strokes wherever they did fall and way did give unto their graceless speed as when a skilful mariner doth read a storm approaching that doth peril threat he will not bide the danger of such dread but strikes his sails and veereth his main-sheet and lends it leave unto the empty air to beat so did the fairy knight himself abear and stooped oft his head from shame to shield no shame to stoop one's head more high to rear and much to gain a little for to yield so stoutest knights done oftentimes in field but still the tyrant sternly at him laid and did his iron axe so nimbly wield that many wounds into his flesh it made and with his burdenous blows him sword it overlaid yet when as fit advantage he did spy the whiles the cursed felon high did rear his cruel hand to smite him mortally under his stroke he to him stepping near right in the flank him struck with deadly drear that the gore blood thence gushing grievously did underneath him like a pond appear and all his armor did with purple dye thereat he brayed loud and yelled dreadfully yet the huge stroke which he before intended kept on his course as he did it direct and with such monstrous poise adown descended that seemed not could him from death protect but he had welded ward with wise respect and twixt him and the blow his shield did cast which thereon seizing took no great effect but biting deep therein did stick so fast that by no means it back again he forth could rast long while he tugged and strove to get it out and all his power applied thereunto that he therewith the knight drew all about nathless for all that ever he could do his axe he could not from his shield undo which artegall perceiving struck no more but loosing soon his shield did it forego and whiles he cumbered was therewith so sore he gan at him let drive more fiercely than afore so well he him pursued that at the last he stroke him with chrysair on the head that with the souse thereof full sore aghast he staggered to and fro in doubtful stead again whiles he him saw so ill bestead he did him smite with all his might and main that falling on his mother earth he fed whom when he saw prostrated on the plain he lightly reft his head to ease him of his pain which when the people round about him saw they shouted all for joy of his success glad to be quit from that proud tyrant's awe which with strong power did them long time oppress and running all with greedy joyfulness to fair irena at her feet did fall and her adored with due humbleness as their true liege and princess natural and eke her champion's glory sounded over all who straight her leading with meet majesty unto the palace where their kings did reign did her therein establish peaceably and to her kingdom seat restore again and all such persons as did late maintain that tyrant's part with close or open aid he sorely punished with heavy pain 
that in short space, whiles there with her he stayed, not one was left that durst her once have disobeyed. During which time that he did there remain, his study was true justice how to deal, and day and night employed his busy pain how to reform that ragged commonweal, and that same iron man which could reveal all hidden crimes through all that realm he sent to search out those that used to rob and steal, or did rebel against lawful government, on whom he did inflict most grievous punishment. But ere he could reform it thoroughly, he through occasion called was away to fairy court, that of necessity his course of justice he was forced to stay, and Talus to revoke from the right way in which he was that realm for to redress. But envy's cloud still dimmeth virtue's ray, so having freed Irena from distress, he took his leave of her, there left in heaviness. Though, as he back returned from that land, and there arrived again whenceforth he set, he had not passed far upon the strand, when as two old, ill-favored hags he met, by the wayside being together set, two grisly creatures, and, to that their faces most foul and filthy were, their garments yet, being all ragged and tattered, their disgraces did much the more augment, and made most ugly cases. The one of them that elder did appear, with her dull eyes did seem to look askew, that her misshape much helped, and her foul hair hung loose and loathsomely. Thereto her hue was wan and lean, that all her teeth arew, and all her bones might through her cheeks be red. Her lips were like raw leather, pale and blue, and as she spake, therewith she slavered. Yet spake she seldom, but thought more the less she said. Her hands were foul and dirty, never washed in all her life, with long nails overwrought like puttock's claws, with the one of which she scratched her cursed head, although it itched not. The other held a snake with venom fraught, on which she fed and gnawed hungrily as if that long she had not eaten aught, that round about her jaws one might descry the bloody gore and poison dropping loathsomely. Her name was Envy, known well thereby, whose nature is to grieve and grudge at all that ever she sees done praiseworthily, whose sight to her is greatest cross may fall, and vexeth so that makes her eat her gall. For when she wanteth other things to eat, she feeds on her own maw unnatural, and of her own foul entrails makes her meat, meat fit for such a monster's monstrous diet. And if she happed of any good to hear, that had to any happily betid, then would she inly fret and grieve, and tear her flesh for fellness, which she inward hid. But if she heard of ill that any did, or harm that any had, then would she make great cheer, like one unto a banquet bid, and in another's loss great pleasure take, as she had got thereby, and gained a great stake. The other nothing better was than she, agreeing in bad will and cankered kind, but in bad manner they did disagree, for whatso envy good or bad did find she did conceal, and murder her own mind, but this whatever evil she conceived, did spread abroad, and throw in th' open wind. Yet this in all her words might be perceived, 
that all she sought was men's good name to have bereaved. For whatsoever good by any said or done she heard, she would straightways invent how to deprave or slanderously upbraid, or to misconstrue of a man's intent and turn to ill the thing that was well meant. Therefore she used often to resort to common haunts and companies frequent, to hark what any one did good report, to blot the same with blame, or rest in wicked sort. And if that any ill she heard of any, she would it eke and make much worse by telling, and take great joy to publish it to many, that every matter worse was for her melling. Her name was hight Detraction, and her dwelling was near to envy, even her neighbor next, a wicked hag, and envy self excelling in mischief, for herself she only vexed, but this same both herself and others eke perplexed. Her face was ugly, and her mouth distort, foaming with poison round about her gills, in which her cursed tongue, full sharp and short, appeared like aspis sting that closely kills, or cruelly does wound, whom so she wills. A distaff in her other hand she had, upon the which she little spins, but spills, and feigns to weave false tales and leasings bad, to throw amongst the good which others had disprad. These two now had themselves combined in one, and linked together against Sir Artegall, for whom they waited as his mortal phone, how they might make him into mischief fall, for freeing from their snares Irena thrall. Besides, unto themselves they gotten had a monster, which the blatant beast men call, a dreadful fiend of gods and men adrad, whom they by slights allured, and to their purpose lad. Such were these hags, and so unhandsome dressed, who, when they nigh approaching, had espied Sir Artegall returned from his late quest, they both arose and at him loudly cried, as it had been two shepherds' curs had scried a ravenous wolf amongst the scattered flocks, and envy first, as she that first him eyed, towards him runs, and with rude flaring locks about her ears does beat her breast and forehead knocks. Then from her mouth the gobbet she does take, the which while e'er she was so greedily devouring, even that half-gnawing snake, and at him throws it most despitefully, the cursed serpent, though she hungrily erst chawed thereon, yet was not all so dead, but that some life remained secretly, and as he passed afore withouten dread, bit him behind, that long the mark was to be read. Then lother coming near gan him revile and foully rail, with all she could invent, saying that he had with unmanly guile and foul abusion both his honour blent, and that bright sword the sword of justice lent, had stained with reproachful cruelty in guiltless blood of many an innocent. As for Grand Torto, him with treachery and trains having surprised, he foully did to die. Thereto the blatant beast by them set on, at him began aloud to bark and bay, with bitter rage and fell contention that all the woods and rocks nigh to that way began to quake and tremble with dismay, and all the air rebellowed again, so dreadfully his hundred tongues did bray. And evermore those hags themselves did pain to sharpen him, and their own cursed tongues did strain. And still among, 
most bitter words they spake most shameful most unrighteous most untrue that they the mildest man alive would make forget his patience and yield vengeance due to her that so false slanders at him through and more to make them pierce and wound more deep she with the sting which in her vile tongue grew did sharpen them and in fresh poison steep yet he passed on and seemed of them to take no keep but talus hearing her so lewdly rail and speak so ill of him that well deserved would her have chastised with his iron flail if her sir artegall had not preserved and him forbidden who his hest observed so much the more at him still did she scold and stones did cast yet he for naught would swerve from his right course but still the way did hold to fairy court where what him fell shall else be told end of canto twelve recording by thomas copeland end of the fairy queen book five by edmund spencer